Amen. Thank you, Amy, so much. And when she says fun with pumpkins, just take note, that does mean um, painting pumpkins, carving pumpkins, and also chucking pumpkins, that we have the giant slingshot with which we will try. This is going to be the year we're going to hit somebody on 470. I'm calling it out. This is the year. It's going to happen. We're going to cause an accident. There's going to be a lawsuit. It's going to be a party for everybody. We are jumping into God's word now for us in a Ephesians. And just a note, if you didn't see uh, out in the lobby that we are going to celebrate communion today. So you might want to slip out and grab your communion cup. We do have gluten-free wafers available out there as well. Because following the message and as we go back into some time for worship together, we will celebrate communion together as the body of Christ. Well, let me jump right in with our scripture reading. Uh, We are going to be reading a big chunk, 10 verses, the second half of Ephesians chapter 2. This is God's word. Let us give our full attention, our full devotion to the hearing of God's word. Don't just wait for me to explain it to y'all. This is the fun part for me. But hear God's word to set us up here. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, somebody say, but now. Oh, once again, Paul is setting us up for the hope. He gives us the hard news, then he gives us the great news. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose, Christ's purpose, Christ's calling, Christ's mission, you gotta love this, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is God's word for us this morning. I grew up in the shadow of Three Rivers Stadium. Well, not literally in the shadow of it, I should make that clear, but the closest big city to us was Pittsburgh, and it was built actually the year before I was born. And if you wanted to go see the local teams then, the Steelers or the Pirates, any Steelers fans? Any Pirates fans? All right, I'm out of of my uh, category here. 
Uh, well, neither am I, to be perfectly honest, so much these days. But if you were going to go see a game, you had to go to Three River Stadium. Now, here's the big question. Do you know why it was called Three River Stadium? Anybody want to venture a guess? Because it's the confluence of a couple of rivers. Bonus points now. Anybody know the rivers? Anybody? 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 Man, I'm missing my audience here today, man. Nobody knows these things. Is that a couple of people taking guess? I can't hear. It's too. Uh, anyways, I'll, I'll, here's the big reveal. It is the, it's not actually three rivers coming together. It's two rivers coming together. The uh, awesome Allegheny comes down from the north. And the majestic Monongahela, that's a fun word to say. Say that a couple times fast. The Monongahela come together to make the Ohio River. And right there at Point State Park, Three Rivers Stadium was built. But here's the deal, of course. It's actually two rivers becoming one. I can imagine back in the day there may have been some debate. Hey, is this like the Allegheny coming into the Monongahela and Team Monongahela was like, yes, it's the best river ever. And then there's like Team Allegheny. They're like, no, no, no. Clearly it comes into the Allegheny River. And so it's the continuation. But they must have settled at some point on this. And I actually don't know how it all transpired. They said, well, let's just say it's a whole new thing. It's a whole new river. It heads towards Ohio, so I guess we'll just call it the Ohio River. The two become something from that point forward entirely new. This is the image we can keep in mind as we move deeper now into Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus and to all of us who call on Christ as Savior and Lord. This is the big reveal he's been building up to this. And now he's going to talk to us about the unity part of our series. So far, we've been really building into the union that the believer has with Jesus Christ now we're going to see the unity that we have as the body of Christ. Quick recap. I like each of these messages to stand on their own, but we can't miss the fact that it, it, it is building. It is progressive. Uh, all of the sermons are on the website. They're online. You can catch up. You can watch. You can listen at any point. I'm trying to make them stand alone, but there is a progressive nature when you go through a book of the Bible. Paul started, you are, anybody remember? I've been saying it for five weeks now. You are saints, all right. I hope, you know, you wake up and greet your spouse. Hello, saint, how are you? I hope you greet your children. Oh, oh you little saints, you darling little saints. So I, I, I struggled with that sometimes. Uh, I must admit, you know, raising my children, but we're saints when we put our life in Jesus Christ, when we stand in his righteousness, Praise be to God. It's not about us anymore. It's about him. And he calls us saints. And he tells us that we have every spiritual blessing in Jesus. If there is a blessing to be had, it's in Jesus. And if it's not a blessing, Jesus isn't bringing it. Every spiritual blessing in Jesus. He goes on to talk about how we are called, we are chosen, we are even predestined to be united with Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Then we talked about uh, through this prayer that he offers how we have hope because of Jesus Christ. We have hope because we are in Jesus Christ. We have an inheritance 
in Jesus Christ. It's not out there anymore. It's already being invested in us. We have power in Jesus Christ and we make power not a dirty word, not an abused thing, but to use the power that he gives us for working good because that's what we turned to uh, the other week then uh, when we moved to chapter two. Here's where we finally get to the words of grace. Grace, 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 grace alone. We get to those beautiful, the beautiful declaration that we are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And this is where we ended last week when we were talking about being saved by grace through faith. This is not of uh, your own works. It's the work of God in and through your life. And then I, I ended with pointing us to, to where we pick up now. He makes this great, I mean, it's this deep, deep statement there in, in 2.10. Uh, he says, for we are God's handiwork. We are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece. We are his magnum opus. Uh, in the Greek, it's actually this word like poema. We are the poem of God. And I, I love that because at the heart of it, we're all poets. At some point in our lives, we all fall in love with something or someone and we're trying to express. We're trying to use these words to express this poetry, this love that we have. God is calling us his poems, his masterpiece, this work of art we are made in his image. And that's why it makes perfect sense that loving us as his masterpiece, as the image bearers of God, as members of the household of God, that the Father through Christ the Son would give us this gift of salvation. Of course, it only makes sense that it comes as his gift because that's what a good father does for the children. But then he tags this on. He says, and that we were created then in him to do good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. So he has been wanting good works in and through our lives. Now allow this to be the setup as we're now going to dip into the second half of chapter two here. This can be taken in a general sense or in a specific sense, right? What does that mean that we have these good works to call us to? Well, there's some debate whenever you get into the commentaries and the teaching on this. Some people think that this is really about the general good works to which all of us are called because we can affirm that all of us are called to do good works. Why we're created, why this gift of salvation, why being the church, why? Because God wants through us good works. You know, given the choice to show hate or love, we should show love. Being the choice to uh, be, you know, greedy or generous, be generous. You know, given the chance to speak words of, uh, you know, life or words that would tear people down, build people up. So is that general sense that all of us can embrace from the moment we wake up to the moment we set our heads on the bed that we are called to do good works. We're called to the greater good of God in the world. Make sense, right? It, it, that's what we are made for. That's what the father would want for us. That's what we would want for our children. I just always put this in the context of my own kids. Do I want my kids to, you know, build evil and hurt and destruction and awful things in the world? No, I would want them to contribute to the greater good. But when we look at Paul's ministry, he certainly embraced the common good, but he knew that there was a very specific calling over his life that he was an apostle chosen to take the good news outside of Jerusalem, outside of Judea and the nation of Israel, on to the ends of the earth. He knew there was a very specific calling in his life. And as you would walk through his ministry, through the book of Acts, or as reflected in these letters to the churches that he wrote, you see that God was doing at times very specific things in his life. 
he would give God the glory and say there were times when God would close a door and times when God would open a door. And he knew that God was moving him into something not just general, but very specific. So here's the conclusion that most of us land on. Well, just embrace both. <laughs> I mean, just embrace both. The good works are both. The good works are the things that we pick up and do daily that we know God has called us to. We don't have to wonder anymore. Love God, love neighbor. If that is our center, then we do good works from that love. Also know that we have the assurance that we can step into the specific good works that God may be preparing you to do in your home in your place of work, in your community, amongst your neighbors. Praise God when we have those, that sense, that assurance, that excitement, really. It's exciting when you have that, uh, that sense of, I'm stepping into something very specific, a door that he opened for me, for this time, for this place, right here, right now. That's the setup is then Paul makes the turn and starts to point us towards the unity that we have in Jesus Christ. As he makes that turn, he starts off with some very actually alarming uh, language, language that we are probably not too comfortable with, um, but we need to lean into it a little bit here today, and, and, and there's going to be a, a reason. Uh, again, my impression of this would be like, we almost want to gloss over this first verse, because he starts talking about the circumcised and the uncircumcised. <laughs> this actually appears a lot in Paul's letters. This was a big deal to him because in his world, in his culture, in his group, this was the division. There was the circumcised, the people of the covenant, the people chosen by God, the people of Israel, and there were the everybody else. If you weren't a part of that group, you were a part of everybody else. You were outside. That was the division. That was the separation. And never the twain shall meet. You won't intermarry. You won't hang out. You won't eat together. You won't worship together. Uh, if your neighbors move somewhere else, you are not to mix and mingle. This is a division. And this was their reality. And when we put it in, here's the deal. Here's the deal. And when we put it in those words, the circumcised versus the uncircumcised. Again, it's kind of like, if people are watching or here for the first time, they're like, this is weird. <laughs> but it is. I think that's why God put it in the Bible. I think that's why we have these words because we're supposed to read that and kind of be like, that's ridiculous. Wait, so you used to actually separate yourself from, divide yourself from, categorize yourself by circumcised and, and uncircumcised, that's kind of ridiculous. And that's kind of the point. We're supposed to read this now and be like, what folly, what foolishness, what a shame that people allowed this to be the division. Praise be to God that Christ has come in to tear down that dividing wall and now start bringing us together and the way that he's going to bring us together, the way that he's going to tear down that wall, the way that he's going to abolish all these categories that would separate us is by pointing all of us, every one of us, every man, woman, and child, young and old, all of us to Jesus Christ and to bring us together in him. 
This is, in a sense, the magnum opus of what we've been pointing to towards this and throughout this series. When I put my life in Jesus Christ and remember the witness of Scripture is we put our lives in Jesus Christ. We often, and I, I say this, I say this often, you know, we'll teach a young child, and this is developmentally appropriate for a child. We teach a young child to invite Jesus Christ into their life because their life is kind of all about them. It's all about me. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm tired. I'm cranky. I want a toy. It's all about me. So we begin by teaching our children to invite Jesus into their life. But now let's gather as adults and say, we know the thrust of Scripture, the witness of Scripture is, no, we put our lives in Jesus Christ. We don't ask Jesus to be a part of our party. <laughs> we join the party of Jesus. We join Team Jesus. We put our life in Jesus. But then the mystery that is revealed in that is when I put my life in Jesus, and whenever you put your life in Jesus, whether we wanted to or not, whether we thought we were in different tribes before, whether we thought we were circumcised or uncircumcised or however you're going to make division walls, no, if you put your lives in Jesus Christ, you are now together. You have unity in Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul now, and henceforth, is going to keep pointing us towards Jesus and specifically, he's going to point us to, and this is why we're going to be celebrating communion today, towards the blood of Jesus, towards the cross of Jesus Christ. Because when we have the cross, the sacrifice, the price that he paid, when we're always keeping that in view, we know anything else that ever divided us now just seems foolish. I've mentioned this before, and part of telling my story in different times and different ways throughout sermons. Uh, so I know I've mentioned this before. Um, let, 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 let me lead into it. Whenever I was in high school, um, we had some dividing walls. So we had some dividing walls of hostility. There was definitely like the jocks and the nerds, you know, there's like the sports kids and the academic kids. Uh, there was like, and, and I think about it, like what the kind of music you listen to Deeply impacted what group you were in. There were the headbangers, you know, the metalheads. There were the pop kids. There was the alternative kids, you know, listen to The Cure and all that kind of, uh, you know, emo kind of stuff back in the day. I mean, you created these categories, these groups, these dividing walls in high school. Anybody else have a high school like that? Yeah, I mean, we all, we all kind of did. Like, there were, there were groups. There were categories. There were labels. And never the twain shall meet. But something happened my senior year that brought us together. And again, I mentioned it before, um, a, a third person actually killed themselves after um, uh, we, we graduated. But during the course of my senior year, two of my classmates took their own lives. The first was a girl named Kara. And the crazy thing is, everybody would have thought that Kara had it all together. She was cute, she was beautiful, she was a cheerleader. She would have been a part of the it crowd. And she took her own life. And we all came together. And we went to that memorial service. And we had the school assembly. And then it was within a couple weeks. And we now know, and especially in this area, we've seen in the high schools. That's why I do like to keep bringing this up. The, the, the tragic contagiousness sometimes of incidences like this. And then another young man, Bruce, took his life. Bruce was kind of the class clown. He was a hippie, deadhead, playing hacky sack, riding skateboards with me. I mean, and, and we were shocked. We were truly in shock by these two fellow classmates taking their lives. 
But in the midst of that tragedy, and this what I would say would far, the tragedy far outweighs the, the, what we experienced in, in, in its aftermath for a brief season. But there was a beauty of what we experienced in the season after that. All of those divisions, all of those old categories, all of those cliques, all of those groups, they kind of faded away into nothingness. In light of the death, the taking of their own lives of two of our peers, we all came together. We literally assembled together. We literally mourned together. We literally memorialized together. When we had in sight the tragedy of their deaths, our petty little divisions meant nothing. And we enjoyed a great season of union and unity together as the class of what would become the class of 1990. And it's amazing to me now, some 30 years later, how often their names that season comes up. And whenever that comes up on a social media post or a, or a, a class reunion being planned, it's amazing to me how those names always come up. And we all come together. And we all share the stories, the memories we had with them. And we share the stories of the union that we experienced. That is the beauty of what Paul is revealing here for us. When we see what Christ did to draw us back to God and to bring us together as one, when we keep in sight the blood of Jesus shed on the cross, we come together. That is where we, let's just, we're obsessed with that thing, right? And we should be. I mean, what is it with Christians? We're always talking about the blood. We're always talking about the cross. We're putting crosses on our, there's a cross right above us, right there. There's a cross right there. We probably have crosses on our necklaces. I got a cross on my ring. We sh and we should, I commend it to you, surround your life with crosses. Put a cross in every room, but <laughs> wear a cross, get a shirt with a cross. I, I mean, we, we cannot overemphasize the cross. We cannot look too long, too much on the cross of Jesus Christ because we know it is there that Christ has brought us together. Many have called it the cruciform life, that the follower of Jesus, the Christian is called to the cruciform way of living. We look to the cross and we allow that vertical beam to just be the reminder, not that we reached up to God, but while we were still dead in our sins and transgressions, which we got into deep last week, while we were unable to do anything about our spiritual condition, God reached down to us and humbled himself and took on the nature of human flesh and being, was found in appearance as a man. And when we talk about that humiliation of God, the humiliation of Christ, I like to use that word. I bring that up again often because it, is, it should be so striking. It should be so, so, so packed with meaning for us that Christ humiliated himself. The eternal, perfect, holy, blameless, omnipotent, almighty God humbled himself, humiliated himself to take on human flesh, to minister among us. He experienced the humiliation of his betrayal, the humiliation of that mock trial, the humiliation of the crowd shouting, crucify, crucify, the humiliation of being beaten, of being scourged, the humiliation of being nailed to that cross, the ultimate humiliation of death. And he did it for us, but that turned the corner to his exaltation 
to his resurrection, to his ascension, to his reign at the right hand of God that again, Paul has pointed us to. Paul has been walking us through this great humiliation of Jesus Christ to lead us into his exaltation, to lift us up into the heavenly realms where he is now seated. And this is where identity is now found in Jesus Christ. Oh, that vertical beam of the cross. May we always stand in awe of what he has done for us. But that horizontal beam, those open arms of Jesus, reaching out to one another, embracing one another, welcoming one another as the body of Christ. This is the cruciform life, loving God because of the love he has shown for us, loving one another now that we stand in Jesus Christ. And what Paul is so beautifully in such an economy of words, he's just said, isn't it ridiculous, really, how we used to divide ourselves by circumcised and uncircumcised? It means nothing now. Both are done in human hands, you know. Circumcision, human hands did that. To the Ephesians, he'd say the idols you used to make, done in human hands. But now what God by his hand has done for us to tear down that wall and to bring us together. Oh, gaze upon that cross and just be in awe of the miracle and the wonder of it all. Oh, look at that horizontal cross. Now that you are in Christ, can embrace one another as the body. And yet, let me jump to a bit of an application before we um, <laughs> kind, of, kind of round the corner. We should spend some time thinking about where are the dividing walls of hostility that we continue to build up in our lives, in our churches, in our communities because I think there is a growing hostility in our world between people that are putting themselves into camps. We know there's hostility between political parties. We know there's hostility between vaxxers and unvaxxers, maskers and unmaskers. We know there's hostility between races. There's hostility between economic classes. There's hostility between our borders. We are still witness to the many hostilities, the dividing walls that are being built up in our world. Oh, Christian, disciple of Jesus Christ, you who have union in Jesus Christ, can we be the people who witness that those walls can be torn down? And what can mean so more than anything that would divide us is that which unites us in Jesus Christ. And to never allow anything to usurp the union that we have in Jesus Christ and the unity that we are called to is the body of Christ. I will resist the urge to go off on this and get really emotional about it. But I compel you, I want to commend to you to spend some time reflecting upon your life. And if you have any dividing walls of hostility between those that you are called to witness and to bear the love of Jesus Christ. Well, that's Paul's real thrust here. That's his emphasis. It is all by the blood of Jesus Christ. And when he tears down those walls, of course, he says what he is bringing is peace. Peace, peace, peace. I mean, that whole middle section actually, like, 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 uh, like 14 through 18, this is all about the peace that we now have with Jesus Christ, the peace that we have with God, our Father, the peace that we can now have with our brothers and sisters, the peace that it should be exemplified and lived into in the body of Christ, the church, the peace of Christ. 
that's where Paul started. Remember, grace and peace to you. And he's now shown us that is by the blood of Christ, by the cross, that he has one peace. And he's going to end with grace and peace again for us because he knows what it's like to live in hostility, to live in division, to live separated and apart. And now he knows what it's like to have union and unity. And he is praying and working and commending to us the peace of Jesus Christ. And then as he rounds the corner and he comes to his application, it's beautiful actually how many different ways he says it. I, again, I commend you read this. Or actually read, start at one and read right through the end of chapter two so you kind of get the reveal of the blood of Christ and the cross and the union that we now have. Just get that kind of, that, that sweep right into it. And, and then again, he kind of goes off that in the original language, this long sentence, he just starts calling us a new people, a new humanity. He calls us the body of Christ. He's going to call us a building on the chief cornerstone of Jesus Christ. He says that we are being members of the body of Christ. We're being knit to, oh, he just, he just kind of keeps pointing us towards this new building that we are in Jesus Christ. And that was extremely important in a part of his message, because he's now making the transition from the temple to the church. You notice we don't call this Connections Temple. Did anybody notice that? Everybody ever put that together? Anybody ever wonder why we don't call this Connections Temple? No, nobody's ever wondered why we don't call this Connections Temple. Nobody ever wonders why it's not called a temple. And may we not understand it. We might not get on board with it. We are going to talk about it in our membership class, what it means to be a church, but he is now pointing us to why we don't call this a temple anymore and now why we call this being a part of the church, the body of Christ. You see, the temple was a really big deal for Paul. It is a really big deal for the people before Jesus Christ. I mean, the temple was the center of Jerusalem. It was the center of the entire nation of Israel. And in their belief, in their worldview, it was the center of the world. It was literally the center of the world. It was the center even before the temple when it was just going to be the tabernacle before the people were established. It was a big deal. Instructions were given. Who's going to make it? How are you going to make it? What are you going to make it with? What are you going to do after you make it? How, I mean, it was a big deal. Whenever they finally had peace in the land and were established, David wanted to build the permanent temple. But because of sin in his life, God was like, not going to happen. And it had to go to his son. And the te I mean, the temple was a big deal. We actually have this beautiful story in Isaiah where he goes to worship God. And lo and behold, God shows up at the temple. Imagine that, showing up to worship God. And God shows up. God shows up and there he is on the throne, his robe filling the space, the original fog machine. It says smoke was filling the room. And there were angels flying, uh, seraphim calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth, the entire earth is filled with his glory. And Isaiah was like, whoa, I am unclean. I live among an unclean people, but God comes in and touches him. And oh, I, I mean, the temple was a big, big deal. But you know that the temple was filled with walls, filled with walls. Everybody could come into the courtyard. Y'all are welcome here. It's great. Oh, you're uncircumcised? Need to check the medical records. I don't know how they figured that stuff out. But they're like, sorry, you just hang out here in the courtyard. Everybody else, come on in. Let's get a little bit closer to God. Oh, wait, uh, ladies, sorry, no further. You can just hang out here. All right, men, let's do it. 
oh, wait, you're not, you're, you're not a Levite? Mm, sorry, you, you can't go any further. You get to hang out here in this room. Let's get a little bit closer. It was filled with walls. And there was a time, there was a season, there was a reason. There was this understanding as we approach God, we approach the holy, we approach the pure, the blameless, the omnipotent, the almighty. But the whole point of was we are getting closer, we're getting closer to that place where God would meet his people. The space between heaven and earth got thin and heaven and earth collided. What happened when Jesus died on that cross? We talk about it every single Easter, that whenever he breathed out his last, what do we read? That the temple curtain was torn from top to bottom. Not bottom to top, top to bottom. God reached down and tore that curtain and said, no more dividing walls ever again for my people. The space where you meet me, the space where heaven and earth gets thin, the space where we encounter one another is in Jesus Christ by his blood, calling on him as Savior and Lord, putting your life in him and all of us meet him there and all of us meet with one another there. Oh, that is the beauty to which he has been pointing us and the reality to which we now get to live in him. You are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We are now the temples of the Holy Spirit we are the dwelling place. We are the place where heaven and earth meet. And when we meet one another in the unity in the body of Christ, oh, the beauty there. And so we don't call this Connections Temple. We call it Connections Church, Connections Ecclesia, Connections Gathering Space, Connections, the place where we who connect with Jesus Christ connect with one another now is the body of Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. Is it a, a stand in awe of the work that he has done? I want to invite um, Malia and Chase to come up, and they're going to get read us, ready to lead us in some time of worship. But what is going to start our time of worship now is our coming together as the body of Christ to celebrate the meal that Jesus gave for his people, to celebrate, to remember, to stand in awe again of the great sacrifice to remember his blood shed for us, to remember the price he would pay on that cross. We always like to say here at Connections that we um, have an open table for all who call on Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, who want to meet him in this sacrament, who want to come together and be identified as the body of Christ. You are welcome here. If for any reason you choose not or feel you cannot participate in communion, you will not be looked down upon. You will not be judged. I would only invite you to reflect upon the meaning of this meal for the people of God and for the body of Christ. Because there's that sense that Paul has been building up in these two chapters to this moment to celebrate the communion that we have with Christ and that we have together as the church, as he points us to the blood shed for us as he points us to the cross where he gave up his life. Before that cross happened, Jesus gathered in an upper, upper room with his disciples and they thought it was to celebrate the Passover, but it was going to begin to dawn on them that it was gonna be the celebration of the fulfillment of the Passover, of the promise to which Passover had been pointing all along that there would be a time whenever the lamb of God 
would die for the sins of all, the final and perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice of God's own life so that we could be made alive in him. And so when Jesus met with his disciples, he took that bread and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, take and eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is now the new covenant which would be sealed in my blood, which would be shed for you. Every time you drink of this, you're proclaiming the saving death of a risen Lord until he comes again. Take and drink, all of you. Allow me the honor of giving thanks to God for this wonderful communion that we celebrate together. Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks for giving us this meal as a way to remember the price that you paid to win for us union and unity in Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you were willing to have your body broken, buried, so that you could rise again and in your resurrection offer us the new humanity, the new life, the way of living, the relationship with you that we are all made for, that we're all longing for, that we all need because in you we know that we have our salvation and you've given it to us by grace, this gift for us. Thank you that you are willing to shed your blood to cleanse us from all sin. Now, Jesus Christ, standing clean, righteous in you, the saints of God. May we now tear down every dividing wall of hostility that would separate us from brothers and sisters, men and women from every corner of the world, from every tribe, from every nation, from every tongue, from every race, Lord. Bring us together in Christ Jesus, our Lord, and may the unity that we have in you rise above any petty divisions that would ever bring separation. Oh, God forbid that we would ever separate what you have brought together and you have brought together us, a new humanity, a new people. The two would become one in you, Jesus Christ. We praise you for this. We praise you for this, Lord Jesus, in your holy name.